G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The creeping and cringing legislation process to bring Australians to their knees comes in two forms this week. The first is the Ensuring Integrity Bill, aiming to put unions on the chopping block. It's closely followed by legislation that will put anyone on a social security benefit on a cashless debit welfare card. We follow these issues today, but first, some union news. The RBTU, the Rail, Tram, Bus Union, Victoria branch members in the Tramways Division have been wrestling with the private operator Yarra Trams, which wants to increase the part-time workforce who will be working short shifts. The members see this as a way of cutting take-home pay, increasing safety risk and an attack on the culture of the workforce for an increase in profits to the operator. The Labor government in Victoria has stepped in, making overtures to the Fair Work Commission to disallow future industrial action during the running of the upcoming Formula One event scheduled for March. Melissa Horne, Minister for Public Transport and Minister for Ports and Freight, has angered the members with her statement that she will not be bullied by, quote, middle-aged blokes who were hell-bent on protecting their interests by not allowing part-time women into the workforce. This is what the RTBU Women's Officer, Catherine Brakewell, had to say at a recent stop work rally in support of the tram drivers. Workers don't want their income slashed in order to boost corporate profits under the false illusion of creating opportunities for women who only want pocket money jobs. In fact, workers' base salary is nowhere near the publicised $94,000 so widely reported. Our sexual harassment and gendered violence claims in bargaining have outright been rejected. But we don't accept this. Indeed, current workers who want to transition to retirement or care for children under part-time arrangements can already choose to do so under fair work legislation. These people are not included in the 4% cap, which is not even being utilised. Women will not be used as pawns to be condescended to for boosting corporate profits. This year's Women's Rights at Work, RAW 2020, Safe, Respected, Equal, will be asking the hard questions around how, after decades of study and being polite, still two-thirds of women have experienced sexual harassment or violence at work, one-fifth of mothers are sacked from their job because of pregnancy, the gender pay gap is 14% for full-time workers and 20% overall, and women retire with half as much superannuation as men. We Are Union Women's Conference 2020, Safe, Respected, Equal, says women's 
play an essential role in society in both paid and unpaid caring work, and yet it is clear the system is rigged against us. At the 2020 We Are Union Women's Conference, we're bringing together unionists to discuss our upcoming Safe, Respected, Equal campaign for working women. The conference will kick off on Tuesday, March the 3rd at 9.30am through to 3.30pm at Victoria Trades Hall. For details, go to unionwomen.org.au forward slash rawfest2020. Unemployment increase with the unemployment rate rising 0.2% according to the latest figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. The Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, said the hardship working people are facing under the Morrison government's failed economic policies continue to intensify. Seasonally adjusted unemployment also rose up 03 to 8.6%. Underutilisation increased 0.5 to 13.9%. Under this government, 31,000 more people became unemployed in the last quarter. In New South Wales, dodgy asbestos removal work at St Catherine's School Sydney in Waverley may have exposed workers and the neighbouring community to the deadly material, warns the New South Wales CFMEU. Asbestos removal conducted at the site over the weekend appears to have been done with scant regard for the usual control measures that are essential to its safe handling and disposal, said Darren Greenfield, New South Wales CFMEU Secretary. The work site is now littered with asbestos dust and fragments and there is material on the footpath and street close to the school. It is shocking to see such blatant disregard for the safety of the community. He said the union has called for a hygienist to assess the site but it is clear from even the cursory examination that something has gone very wrong here. We have grave fears for how the work has been done and have serious questions about who has done the work. Professional and licensed asbestos removalists do not usually botch a job as badly as this. In Newcastle, the head of the federal government's Asbestos Eradication Agency, ASEA, has advised parents of Newcastle East Public School students to list their children on the government's asbestos exposure register as a precaution. Peter Teague said, while it may seem like an extreme step, it would give students greater security if they develop symptoms related to asbestos exposure later in life. Parents were advised on the first day of school this year that friable, loose-filled asbestos had been found on rafters inside the school's heritage building as part of works to replace the building's 1970s-era faux-slate roof during the school holidays. It is not known how long the material had been exposed to the environment. In Tasmania, the ABC reports that the body of Cameron Goss has been retrieved three weeks after a section of the Henty gold mine in Tasmania's west collapsed. Mr Goss, 44, died after the ground underneath his loader caved in, plunging his machine down a 15-metre-deep crevasse on January the 23rd. Police said that heavy lift winching gear was successful in lifting the loader which he was operating at the time, from its position in the early hours of Tuesday morning, Mr Goss's body was recovered by the mine's emergency response team with the help of other mining experts. Rescue crews had 
earlier made a number of attempts to find his body but were unsuccessful. Limited mine operations have now resumed at the Henty Gold Mine. This fatality is the fifth mining death in the area in six years. You are on Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. The Ensuring Integrity Bill is the jewel in the Liberal National Party government's anti-union crown. Andrew Deppmaner, National Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, joined unionists from the Philippines and Cambodia to talk about union repression. In the Philippines, 46 unionists have been murdered since Duarte came to power. Extrajudicial killings, the creation of economic zones where no industrial law applies and multinationals are given free reign and a push to have unions seen as terrorist organisations. Mr Deppner concedes unionists in Australia are not shot, but the repression is real. So, comrades, I suppose the issue for me is to try and bring home this issue and to talk about it, about this issue of international repression and how it orientates itself towards us in, in the Australian context, uh, the, the Ensuring Integrity Bill. And the Ensuring Integrity Bill is as bad as you can think. Uh, I, have a, I have a copy of it here. I'm not going to go through it all. I mean, you'd all be too fascinated by it if I did. But, but the fact is that it is not out of character with most of the repression uh, that's been described. But there is one distinction, of course, and that is our comrades have been talking about the physical uh, and actual criminal repression which is occurring through the governments that they're confronted by. You know, union officials being killed in the Philippines jailing and the repression of a number of, of our Cambodian comrades. It's very clear that the repression we are suffering and will be exacerbated and exemplified by this Act is not going to use physical violence against us, except for the institutionalised violence of the state. The violence which will be used against trade unions, which is already there in the person of employers and thugs, and I'll come to thugs again in a minute, but also through the courts, is going to be a process, if this Ensuring Integrity Bill gets through, which is going to exemplify and be characterised by all bar the random shootings and arrests and other, other oppression. Everything else will be the same. It is a neoliberal fantasy and it will be made real in Australia should this law be passed. They use the term like the rule of law. And the rule of law is, of course, a critical part of what we have in Australia. But, of course, these are the laws of the bosses. I think it was very well put by Sally McManus. And you recall the confected outrage of the bosses and the Liberal Party and everybody else saying, oh, you know, she's saying that it's OK to break laws. What good has ever arisen in this world without laws being broken? We have to think of it in those terms. The fact is that all of the campaigns which we've had, and we had, a very good campaign, for instance, against work choices, was against the law. And that doesn't mean to say we willy-nilly ignore the law, but it is a political imperative for us to break this law and to oppose these laws. We have, after all, ILO conventions which supposedly protect us. They also protect our comrades here. Not. ILO, the basic eight ILO conventions 
are a critical part of what, what is supposed to be observed by this government. And unfortunately, uh, they choose to ignore it. But of course, and I'll come to it in a second, really what, what they try and tell us is, oh, we're observing them and of course we're protecting your interest in doing so. It's that hypocritical. Ensuring integrity is nothing of the sort. So when they talk about integrity, let's examine this government and what they're talking about when they come to integrity. Bridget McKenzie. She is, of course, uh, integrity personified, isn't she? She just, she just organised a shed load of, uh, of, 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 of uh, grants to people in marginal seats. Oh, who would have thought? Uh, we had the Banking Royal Commission. Remember that Banking Royal Commission, which ended up with nobody being prosecuted? Nobody. But massive, massive dishonesty, massive criminality being revealed by the very banks who were supposed to be looking after our money. It was, it, it, was there integrity concern there? No. And what about the misuse of the Australian Federal Police as a political police force? It's a pity that the AWU's not here tonight. But there are many other unions, like the CFMEU, who have seen the, the, uh, the political processes of this government carried out through the Australian Federal Police. Quite shameful. And it's something on which all of us should be very, very critical and look very closely at what the Australian Federal Police are doing. Of course, the whole thing with this government which is dripping with integrity is that when it comes to things like uh, sports rorts or anything else, uh, they like to tell us that there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. But let's look for a minute at this ensuring integrity bill. What it is is the neoliberal article of faith of trying to say to people that working class organisation is bad. That we as trade unionists are thugs. That's how they describe us, thugs. And that the Trade Union Royal Commission, and you look at the, the explanatory memorandum of this bill, and this Trade Union Royal Commission says, oh, it exposed massive criminality. I'm, not, I'm a bit hard pressed to, to recall the massive criminality, except for the ones of the people who actually were already exposed as being criminals themselves. Although there was, of course, one star witness, you might recall, I think her name was Cathy Jackson. Do we remember Cathy Jackson? Uh, funnily enough, uh, she was the star witness. She, in fact, went to uh, the employers and Liberal Party's great champions, the H.O. Nichols Society, and was told by none, none other than Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister, that she was a woman of great integrity. <laughs> Surprise. I mean, you'd all be surprised by that. Uh, except that she was found with trousered about $1.4 million of our union's funds. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So, really, the Trade Union Royal Commission, which they use as evidence or, or backing for uh, this atrocious bill, is really not about our lack of integrity as a trade union, it's about their lack of integrity as a government. The explanatory memorandum, which has been put forward by the wonderful Christian Porter, who is the Attorney General and the Minister for Industrial Relations, uh, is, of course, been put forward by a bloke, and I say it with the greatest respect to uh, our West Australian comrades, and thank you, Brother McCartney, apparently he went to the Hale School. The Hale School is the oldest school in Western Australia. And um, if you look up the Hale School, 
it was described as, and I quote here, a heady compound of social snobbery, laissez-faire capitalism, sentimental royalism, patriotic Anglicanism, benevolent imperialism and racial superiority. And that, surprisingly, is where Christian Porter comes from. And, I mean, you won't believe it, he's actually pushing forward this bill. I know, I know you find that hard to believe, comments. The issue for us is that this bill is that it is laced with hypocrisy. It refers to, and it actually has a statement of compatibility with human rights. A compatibility with human rights. It even talks about its compliance with international labour organisation conventions, to which we're a party. But did you know it actually requires uh, organising to be made illegal? Because it says the organisation, the bill also streamlines and simplifies some of the existing grounds for cancellation of the registration of a union, the organisation of a substantial number of members taking or organising obstructive, unprotected industrial action. This is, is what we're having to face with, that organising under this law becomes an offence. Even worse is that union officials themselves are expected to maintain public order. I don't know about you, but the officials and delegates amongst us, of which there's many, when are we being required to maintain public order? But this is precisely what we're required to do, and unless we do, we are committing an offence. And then the clincher, which many of us, I think, have, have actively sort of been surprised by, is that a union can be disqualified, deregistered, put out of business effectively, not just by the application of the Minister for Industrial Relations, not by somebody who is part of the union or as a regulator, it can be by a person with sufficient interest. <laughs> and what is a person with sufficient interest? It's defined. A sufficient interest has been judicially interpreted to mean, that means that these well-paid judges will tell us what it means, to mean an interest beyond that of an ordinary person. So probably all of you. Uh, and includes those whose rights, interests or legitimate expectations would be affected by the decision. This is precisely what they're intending to deal with. That is, to ensure that we cannot operate. That we cannot operate despite their protestations of its adherence to human rights, of its adherence to international labour organisation standards, that really is all about them preventing trade unions and organised workers from doing their job. No more and no less. So, comrades, as I've said, we don't have death squads or paramilitaries. We don't have a government which will shoot at us. But we do have a government which hates us with a passion. They demonise us and call us thugs. I don't know about you, but I find that pretty offensive. As a union official of a fair, fair few years now, I, think of, I don't think of myself as a thug. My wife does not think of me as a thug, but they think of me as a thug, and they will profess that publicly. Now, a thug, what is a thug? A thug is a race or a caste in, from India, from the subcontinent, of people who were bandits, swindlers, criminals. That's us. That's pretty much all of you. All of you. And so this is the government with no integrity saying that we're thugs. 
They are saying that we have no credibility. They are saying that we are criminal. And I don't know about you, but that makes my blood boil. And I, and I think that this government is a shameful, shameful collection of spivs and, and neoliberal, neoliberal apologists who really should hang their heads in shame. And most importantly, they've even got organisations like the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry saying how bad we are. So our good friends in Aki are saying, government's right. The government's right. I think we've got to call this out for what it is. I think we have to say, this is repression. The absence of bandits and bullies with guns and coshes makes it no less repressive than what our comrades are having to face, face up to. We may not be dying, but we certainly will be jailed. And the thing is that what that means is that for all of us here, we have to stand shoulder to shoulder with our Cambodian and Filipino comrades. We have to say their struggle is our struggle. And, and most practically for us today, we have to demand of those senators, those prospect senators, Sterling Griff, uh, Jackie Lambie, Rex Patrick, stand against this legislation. Do not allow this legislation to pass. It will destroy trade unionism and fairness in this country. Thank you. You are on Stick Together Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. Along with moves to privatise our social security system, the federal government wants to expand the cashless welfare debit card nationally. First tried out in isolated communities, targeting First Nations communities in what has been called financial apartheid, the government is set to extend the quarantining of 80% of welfare recipients' payments so they will only be able to spend at large suppliers at the whim of the privately run Hindu company run by Liberal Party and National Party supporters such as Larry Anthony Jr. Peter Davis speaks with... Karen Wilkes from the No Cashless Welfare Debit Card Australia Group, who has been alerting Australians to the deep flaws of this system. And the cashless welfare card quarantines 80% of a person's income and is controlled by a private company called Inju. And however, the accounts are set up by the Department of Social Security without the recipient's consent. And um, can you talk about what that means? Well, what that means is that if you're in a trial area and um, you're subject to the trigger payments, which the government has set down, for instance, Hink was a little bit different to the rest of them, but um, then you will be issued a, a, an Indu card without your consent. It'll just arrive with a letter in the mail telling you to activate the card. And you so, mentioned the phrase trigger payments. Just to explain to people, what does that mean? Okay, so with the trigger payments, um, for instance, with Saduna, Kununurra and the Goldfields, the trigger payments are all working age payments, so up to old age pension. Um, that includes disability and support um, carers' pensions payments. Okay, um, In Hinkler, it's for youth allowance, new start and um, parenting payments under, under 36 is only at this time. So... The, the department has got lists and we've got them out on our sites as well and you can see which payments and it's just about every payment 
goes onto the card. Every supplement, every advance, um, if, you know, your family tax payments. The cashless card leaves only 20% of their um, income in their bank accounts as their legal fiscal worth uh, income. Yes. And how does having only 20% of income in people's bank accounts impact people? Well, for a start, it's not enough, um, especially because they're, they're locked out of the second-hand market. But more so that um, if you wanted to be able to take out a, a, a loan for a car, you can't do that with your bank because you no longer um, qualify under the credit lending criteria set down by the banks. Uh, 20% is all they'll recognise in your bank. So this is um, forcing people to go to um, higher finance, com- higher interest finance companies that will do it, um, but the person still has to pay the loan repayment out of their cash portion in order to be able to continue that loan. But they're forced into a higher interest rate loan. The biggest issues is rent payments. Payments not being paid on time. Uh, people are subject to a 28-day cycle, so... Uh, that, that stuffs people up as well because uh, they go to pay their rent and their money's not there to pay the rent and then they'll go and ask, well, why can't I pay my rent? And they'll say, oh, oh your 28-day cycle's not up yet. You'll have to wait a couple of days. But this puts people behind in rent. Uh, result is you get breach letters uh, and you get situations where people on periodic leases or on cash rentals, right, where Indu won't allow the person to access funds for rent at all because landlords uh, are protected under different laws under the RTA. And um, some landlords don't want to fill out a signed and dated fixed lease. They have other ways of collecting their rent. So for people that are caught in that situation who the landlord just wants their money... Like cash payments and... Yeah, cash payment, right, or just a direct debit from that person's bank account. They haven't got a signed, fixed, dated lease, right? The situation becomes really muddy because Indu won't release the cash to the person's bank account. And this can cause people to become homeless. And I've got that situation at the moment with a a single mum of three that her landlord just refused to um, do the paperwork the way that Indu wanted it done, which is his prerogative, you know. But the result is now that she's being evicted. That's it for Stick Together this week. Stick Together is made at the 3CR studios in Melbourne and is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We are broadcast on the national community radio networks and you hear us on your local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. You can make contact with the producers at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together.